Hey everyone, if you haven't met me, my name's Vic. I'm one of the leaders here and I'm preaching uh, another one of our sermons in our Supporting Acts series. Our Supporting Acts series. Uh, but before we get to that, there's one big announcement I want to make that has to do with November the 12th. So November 12th, um, we were actually supposed to preach another Supporting Acts sermon, um, but we're going to take a break and we're calling it a family meeting. I don't know table talk, whatever you want to call it, um, that night there will not be any singing or any sermon. I do believe there will be some eating, all right, because that's what families do when they get together, okay, so, and there's enough a, a space here for all, for all of us to gather around a meal, but the point of that meeting is we as a leadership team want to bring you in as a church community, um, just on the journey of us um, searching for um, a venue, thinking about this, that, that strategically as a team, some of the options that we've had and some of the options that we have, and actually bring you in on that conversation. Because I think, um, yeah, we've, we've gotten to a place where I, we feel confident that actually we could, we could, we could, we could speak about this. Um, there might even be some talk about just the leadership uh, a strategy that we have for the future. As you guys know, my family will be transitioning out as our season in Canada is coming to a close. And if you're a guest here, uh, I also lead the team that leads this church. And so we might even go there. But primarily, it will be about sort of the strategy of, of, of our meeting configuration and where we're at and what to do. So it's a very, very important one. So I want to encourage you that if you know of some city gators that you have not seen for a while, I would love for you to just reach out to them if you have a relationship with them, saying, hey man, there's going to be a very important meeting. Um, and of course, everybody present here, please make it a priority. Put it in your calendars. Um, we'll show up again at five o'clock. We'll be done by seven as we usually do. But the format of that night is very much a presentation, a bit of a conversation. And it's for all, it's for the whole family. And so especially with your kiddos, because where we meet, affects your kids too okay so kids ministry that night will look slightly different um, because we want to have your kids involved in that conversation we want them to hear that that uh, that that journey as well because it impacts them as much as it impacts the grown-ups in the room here okay November 12 family meeting some table talk around some food five o'clock Sunday night over here okay good stuff all right let's get into the supporting acts let me lay a little bit, uh, tell you a little bit of a story. As some of you uh, know, um, we are family South African, and this was a big weekend for South Africa, okay? Because South Africa uh, won the World Cup once again. They have won this World Cup. It comes around every four years. They've won it four times now. Um, interesting stat is they've never actually lost a final. Whenever South Africa has found themselves in the World Cup finals, they have won, and they did it again yesterday. Did I, what did I say? Is there only one sport, really, isn't there? No. <laughs> My bad. My bad. The Rugby World Cup. Do I now have to go into rugby and tell you what that is, too? No, I don't. I know Canada's got a rugby uh, team as well. In fact, the previous World Cup, they did play in it. So some of you should know what I'm talking about. So as I said, interesting stat, South Africa's never lost a final when they've been in the Rugby World Cup final. Um, they're the only country who's actually won two consecutive World Cup finals when the final did not take place in their home country, which is another great stat, I think. And I'm saying all these things to you because I want to say to you, if you want to understand a South African, you have to know that their, their history with rugby. It's actually quite a phenomenal backstory, um, how rugby and where the country is at and its whole story uh, probably 
pre-95, when apartheid was, um, you know, gotten rid of uh, up until now. So anyway, it, it is a very heartwarming uh, weekend if you are a South African, but if you know a bit of that story, I think it will tickle your fancy as well. All right, so a little bit, of, a little bit about um, rugby, uh, just how the teams are made up. And I'm not going to mention any names or use any technical terms here. You should be able to get this. Okay. Um, there are about 33 players that, uh, the, that can be chosen from uh, for each of these matches. And on game day, actually only 23 of them start. So there's 10 people that are left out. Um, on game day, only 15 find themselves playing the game on the field. So there's eight people, eight players on the bench. And over these 80 minutes of play, they're only allowed to substitute, obviously, eight of them. Okay, so start with 33. Then it's whittled down to 23 on game day. 15's on the field with eight substitutions that over the 40 minutes they mix and match them. Okay. These are amazing players. They are the best players in the country. They represent their whole country. And everybody wants to be selected to play on that final game. Everybody wants to be on the field, part of that 15, or at least sit on the bench, part of the eight, because you know you get to play a few minutes at least. Everybody wants to play there. They all deserve to play there because they are all brilliant. But here's the thing. Because of the rules of the game, it's impossible for all 33 to be on the field on game day, especially the final where everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to be in the Rugby World Cup final on the field. And so it's very difficult for coaches to make a decision who are the 23 players that they are going to be drawing from on that day. Because as I said, they are all excellent and the margins are just so small. The difference between each of these professional players is actually less about their ability, because they are all brilliant, is actually more about strategy. It's about who that team will be playing on that particular day. That's how they decide who the 23 players would be and ultimately who the starting 15 would be on the day. It's what's best for the game and what's best considering the opponents that they are facing. Are you still tracking with me? So it's not the best players, it's actually the right players. Okay, and this all connects with supporting acts because I was listening to the post-game interview with the captain and with the coach, Jacques Ninaber. And um, they asked him about the decision that he made to put those particular 15 guys on field and, of course, have the 18, eight guys uh, on the bench. And I absolutely loved his response. The, 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 the approach that each of the players have um, we can learn from it. One of the things the coach said is that these players, they don't have egos. None of them have egos. They play their part in the training if they are not selected to be in the game. So what happens is if you are not selected to play the starting 15 or to be on that, that, that eight on the bench, then your job is to learn and to mimic the opposing players in the weeks or two leading up to that final game. That's the job you play. You are not on the field on game day, but you are on the field in preparation for game day, actually studying the opponent, studying the enemy, and then playing like the enemy against your brothers and your sisters so that they are best prepared for the, for the game day. Isn't it amazing? And I want to today look at two such players in Scripture today. 
they are the supporting act. So, you know, in many ways, I'm moving the metaphor from actors. You know, you get the main actor and then you get the supporting roles. I'm moving the metaphor from acting to rugby. I'm sorry. Or to, oh, actually, so many other games. I'm sure I've de- described uh, what happens in many other sports. Perhaps it's ice hockey. Maybe it is in baseball. Um, I said ice hockey, but you don't have to giggle at me. <laughs> hey? Because you do, in fact, get field hockey, people, you know? <laughs> Nobody here thinks. <laughs> oh, it gets a giggle out of us, doesn't it? So I want to look at two such players today in Scripture. They actually technically have the same name, but they are not the same people. And it's Epaphras and a guy called Epaphroditus. Epaphras and Epaphroditus. Epaphras will learn, um, he, he shows up in Colossians and Philemon. I'm going to call him E1. And then E2, uh, we, we find him in Philippians. And uh, just so you know, Epaphras is in fact a shortened, shortened version of the word Epaphroditus, which I, I, I quite like that. Epaphroditus is a little bit of a mouthful. Um, and so, you know, history, archaeological finds have shown that actually those two names uh, actually refer to, the, to the, it's the same name, but in this case, don't make the mistake that it's the same person. So maybe if, it's a, if there's a title to the sermon, it'll be Epaphras squared or Epaphroditus squared. I don't know. But we're going to look at Epaphras first, number one, the E1. And we're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 8 to introduce him. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, as always, it'll be up on the screen. Colossians 1, verse 3 to 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, there's our worship time coming up at at us again. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray before we jump into the points. Lord, thank you so much for... um, People like Epaphras and Epaphroditus who are supporting acts. Um, That's actually the story of most Christians. Not all of us find ourselves on stages and with massive ministries, maybe like Paul and, and some of the other apostles. And so as we look at Epaphras and Epaphroditus, may our hearts um, be stirred to, to be used by you in such a significant way in our own context. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that we're going to learn about E1, Epaphras, is that he's a church planter. It tells us here, Paul is, by the way, is writing this letter to the Colossians. And, of course, Epaphras is with him. And he says to the Colossian church, you learned it, you learned the gospel from Epaphras. So Paul actually didn't plant the Colossian church. It, the scholars say it probably um, was planted because... Epaphras traveled to Ephesus, I think it's Paul's third missionary journey. Um, He based himself there uh, for about three years. And um, that is where Epaphras heard the gospel, and then he went back 
to his hometown of Colossae and began sharing the good news of Jesus, which is what is summarized for us here in Colossians chapter 1. Paul is saying, you learned it from Epaphras. What did you learn? Well, you learned the grace of God and the truth. You've, you, uh, you heard the gospel. Um, and, uh, and, and so the church was planted by Epaphras. And as I was reading this, I was remembering Lawrence's story. Lawrence Keene, he was once one of the pastors, one of the elders here in our church. And he went to British Columbia to plant what is now called Two Rivers Church. And he too went back to his hometown. Like There's actually a video, I think, on our YouTube page that tells his story. And there's a three-minute version and a ten-minute version. And he was actually in North Carolina at this conference that many of us are going to. He was being hosted by a church member. And the one morning, he stood in their kitchen and he looked out and he saw some of the neighbors. And, and he had felt the Lord stir him to go back to his hometown, to Quenelle. And he said, Lord, but how? How would I do it? And the Lord reminded him of what he's doing in Ajax, where if he looks out of his kitchen window... He could see some neighbors, and some of those neighbors came to know Jesus because Lawrence just went to his neighbors and invited them to his community group. He has a plug for community groups. They're good things. They came to his community group. Eventually, they came to our church. And so he's standing in North Carolina, feeling the Lord stirring him to go back to his Colossi, in a sense. And he's like, but, and, and you can ask Mike about that. When Mike talked about church planning long before we set foot in Canada as a church, Lawrence was the first one to saying. That sounds like a terrible idea because that means we'll have to say goodbye to people, right? And guess who went? <laughs> so be careful what you say. And, and how did it happen? God said to him, just do what you did in Ajax. Just look out your window and go to your neighbor. Invite them to community group. Tell them about Jesus. This is the story of Epaphras. If you think about the profile of a church planter, what, what, what comes up into your, in, your, in your mind? What do you think about? I'm pretty sure you think, oh, it's somebody who's got serious credentials. You know, maybe they're tall. I don't know. Maybe they're loud. I, none, of that, 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 none of that is true of it. Maybe it is, but that's not what the scriptures are trying to highlight here. Just a guy who heard the gospel, went back home, and shared the gospel. And there was a church eventually that Paul wrote to. And so even in this room, I mean, don't think church planter, just think Christian. <laughs> just think, just be a follower of Jesus. Just do what Jesus asks you to do. It's to share the good news. See what happens. So number one, church planter. Number two, disciple maker. Because, you know, it looks a certain way. It says that they heard it from Epaphras and they understood the grace and truth. So when, they, when it says they heard it, it means that the gospel was proclaimed. He didn't just go to Colossae back to his hometown and just lived his best life out in front of others. Just was a really, really good Christian. And this miraculously, people became Christians because they're like, I want to be as good as he is. I want to be, you know, a good, upstanding, moral citizen of Colossae like him. No, it says they heard it. He proclaimed it. He told people about Jesus I love in our community group, Corey is, is involved in the leadership there. And Corey uh, has been challenging our community group members just at the end saying, all right, guys, 30 seconds. You, what's the gospel? You know, and initially I was like, oh, I'll, you know, uh, it's a, uh, okay, three minutes. And he's just saying, this is, this is, we should all be ready to be able to proclaim 
because people must hear the gospel, because it must come out of our mouths, a declaration or proclamation of the truth. That's how it happened. What is your 30-second version of the gospel? What's your three-minute version of the gospel? Because when they hear it, I think it leads to the next one. They can only understand it if it's therefore explained. So it starts off with proclamation. You proclaim the gospel. Maybe you say how Jesus saved you. You proclaim it. And they go, ooh, how does that work? Let me explain. And you maybe go into a little bit of a teaching mode. But they heard it and they understood it because they, it was proclaimed. And I'm pretty sure it was explained. And to explain something means you are now actually stepping into a bit of a relationship with them. It's like, let's meet again. Let's talk some more. Let's have a coffee. Let's have a meal. Can you see that discipleship can actually start before somebody becomes a Christian? We often think discipleship is only for Christians. But you can disciple someone to the line of faith. And then when they come to know Jesus, you just keep going across the line of faith. I think that's what happened with Epaphras. He was a disciple maker. It's fascinating because the term that is used here is derived from the Greek word um, mathetes, uh, which is the word disciple. It means student. It means learner. And so he was, it, people weren't just simply listening to gospel presentations, 30 seconds, three minutes version of, of how Jesus saves and probably how he saved you, but a systematic instruction in the faith. I believe that's why ultimately there was a church because people got together to walk through the truth, to proclaim and explain and proclaim and explain. Disciple making, we can learn that from Epaphras. Number three, he was an ambassador. He was an ambassador. It says here that he, um, let me just go back to that verse. It says that, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So he's now obviously with Paul, not in Colossae. Colossi, by the way, we'll talk about that more. He's in Rome. And he is an ambassador, obviously, of the people that sent him or the people that he had left to be with Paul. But it's fascinating because many manuscripts also read on our behalf. So it could also be Paul saying he's an ambassador to you on our behalf, as much as he was saying he's an ambassador of you, you know, on, on your behalf to me. Both ways work, okay? Both ways are, are not breaking any rules in terms of theology and the scriptures. And so... I love that, that he's a faithful ambassador in place of or on behalf of Paul among the Colossians. Because um, I'm not sure if Paul has actually g gone through Colossae. Certainly he didn't plant it. We know that he is the one, uh, Epaphras is the one who planted it. So let's read, let's read uh, from chapter 4 in Colossians, uh, verse 12 to 13. Just to double click on this point ambassador a bit more. So in verse 12, Paul writes about him. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you? Okay, he's an ambassador of his people. Who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear, bear, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea, and in Hierapolis. I think that's how you say it. I want to draw your attention to verse 12. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you? 
And I want you just to think about how powerful that is. Lawrence going to his hometown, Epaphras going to his hometown. He is one of them. Don't discredit the impact that one of you, the one of yous can have. That if you're a native, if you're a local, if you're a, you know, like somebody who's been a um, long time employee somewhere, you know the ins and outs of your company or you've gone to the same grocery store and you know all the people that work there. That one of you element, it is a powerful, powerful tool that God can use to shine his light through you. I just think of the unique things that, that uh, you know, homegrown people share and have in common with, the, with those that they bring the gospel to. I just think of the initial struggles, Tan and I, when we've come to Canada. It took us years to kind of feel like we get you and feel like you get us and still maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect because I can't say that I'm one of you by geography or by nationality or whatever the other criteria could be. But some of you can say that about where you live and where you work and where you play. Even as we were watching rugby, we realized how much South African is in us this last weekend, you know. It's, it's, it's like because I'm from there. And you're from somewhere too. And God wants to use that. Think about Colossae. This is the place that Epaphras is from. If we look at the history, apparently they were known for wool production. Okay, so actually there's a sense that Epaphras probably knew a thing or two about shepherding. Okay? No, no wonder that he finds himself planting a church. That's the primary metaphor that Jesus uses for his leaders in a church. Colossae was known for wool production. It was quite a small city too. It's actually the smallest city to get a letter from Paul. I don't know how it compares to all the others, but you know, history just tells us in terms of the letters that were sent to various churches, Colossae was the smallest one. Maybe it was a small town, you know, sheep loving uh, place. And, and, and he, you know, is this Australia? No, no. Uh, you know, was it New Zealand? Where's the, where's the street? sheep? Yeah. Mm. Wales, yeah, that too. I mean, look. Yeah. But I, I just think that there are certain things that, that Epaphras probably got. He got Colossi. He's from Colossi. They had some unique things different to other places. It's fascinating. They were also very afraid, apparently, of evil spirits. That's why Paul is writing to them because... Epaphras showed up with Paul and saying, these guys, man, they are petrified. They are now praying to angels. They are, they are asking for protection. They are undermining the gospel because they're forgetting about Jesus. And they're saying, could, could the angels please protect us? And it was like borderline angel worship. So actually, it's a town that probably would do very well with Halloween, you know, fearing e evil spirits. Like, you know, th th they had their unique challenges different to other places. And Epaphras could, could go to Paul and say, hey, man, we've got some unique challenges here. Why don't you help us out? And which is the letter of Colossians that came out. And that's one of the reasons, friends, this one of you thing is why as a leadership team, we are really committed to this, this, uh, this future of our church, thinking that a, a, a one of you should be in the saddle. That's really one of the reasons why we are passionate about seeking that. Certainly someone Canadian, someone who understands the context better than perhaps I have and could, could do a better job than what we have done. Can you see, this is a great value, the one of you principle here, to be an ambassador. Number four, Epaphras is a guy who worked hard and who also prayed hard. Works hard, but he prays harder. In verse 13, it says that you know, Paul bore him witness he, that he worked really hard for them 
um, over there. In verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, he talks of being a, a, a fellow servant. He does the same thing in verse 12. Says he's a servant. So this guy worked really hard. He, and, and, and one of the tips uh, for just how far he's willing to go, we actually find in the letter to Philemon. So it's believed that Paul wrote Philemon, Ephesians, and Colossians at the same time. He wrote it from uh, um, from Rome, and this is the this is the this is the um, the reality for Paul. Verse twenty three in Philemon, he writes again, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Sends greetings to you. Okay, so now you thought, oh, you know, I, I want to be like Epaphras. This is great. Oh, by the way, he was imprisoned with Paul. So this is how far, this is how hard this guy is willing to work for it. There, we don't know the circumstances uh, of his arrest. We don't know how he got into, into prison or perhaps house arrest, but certainly he wasn't that free if he was a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus um, with Paul, alongside Paul. But this guy, yeah, he worked hard. So the reality is, he's in Rome, he's not at home, okay? He's in Rome, he's not at home. And his philosophy is, when you can't be there, prayer. Tells us here, he works so hard for them. And the clues that we give is that he's struggling on their behalf in his prayers. He's saying, when I can't be there, pray. It's my next option. I'm in, I'm in Rome, I'm not at home, what, what can I do? I can pray. I can pray for my people. And so he's struggling in prayer. He's interceding. He is wrestling. He works hard, but in particular, on his knees, praying for those people. And so our question too is, is do we pray? Do we pray? Especially when, when we're away. Do we continue to carry the places that we've come from in, in prayer? Are they that deep in our hearts, that connected? Which brings me to point number five. He was widely connected to, even though he's from a smaller town, Colossi, farming uh, sheep and being afraid of evil spirits or people around him at least. He was widely connected because in verse 13 he says he worked hard not only for them, Colossi, but for Laodicea and that other town, Hierapolis. Hierapolis? I don't know. Um, these were towns just near Colossi. So this church and Epaphras certainly had relationships, close relationships with the other churches around, and they had relationships with him in turn. And this is why we as a church also, we're not independent. There's an interdependence. This is why we make a big hoo-ha of our advanced conference where people and churches on the East Coast gather together as leaders. We work together even locally on various levels. We work together with Forestbrook. We've had combined services. We work together with other churches. We've given money towards their ministry initiatives. We partner with the storehouse uh, at Southside Worship Center. We, we are widely and more widely connected, and we are strategic about those things. Rigby Wallace, um, he's a South African. He's actually a keynote speaker in this uh, advanced conference. He, he always says this, we honor everyone, we engage with many, and we partner with a few. And that's our philosophy as well. We honor every other church in Ajax and in Pickering and in Durham region and in Canada. We honor everybody. If Jesus is Lord, we're in the same team. We're family. But we engage with not everyone, just with many. And so I've told you some of those relationships that we have that's outside of our network of churches, but then we partner with a few. And that is our advanced tribe. That is the tribe. Because again, if we spread ourselves too thin, we're doing a hundred things badly. We'd rather do two or three things really well. So we are strategic. But the point is, we're not an island as a church. 
It's not city gates and we do our own thing and we don't care about other churches or partner with other churches or speak with other churches because we want to be like Epaphras, connected to the towns and the churches in and around us. So he's widely connected, and I love, you know, his connection now. He's in Rome. He's with Paul, and Paul says, For I bear him witness that he has worked. What a weird way to say it, but I, I marinate in that for a little while. And there's a sense that Paul is validating and affirming what Epaphras is doing in Colossae and, of course, alongside him as well. And that is a powerful thing. One of the reasons why we don't stay on our own, because we, it can come, become a little inbred and insular and a bit of an echo chamber if we only hear one, a nice, one another's voices and affirmations. But, but actually, Paul is saying something about Epaphras, about Colossae, and it, it's powerful. I, I, I always joke about in a running community, we always say, if it isn't on Strava, it never happened. You know? And so guys go, you know Strava is like the social media app for athletes. Uh, and I know, uh, Okredo, are you here? Here we go. You know, Okredo has also got a love relationship, love-hate relationship with Strava. Uh, I haven't seen too many updates from you recently, but just, what's going on there? But, uh, mm. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, people go crazy. They like, they, you know, log their walk to the, walk with the dog, put it on Strava, because then it looks like you've done an activity, because the, it's so, you know, you don't want any of your exercise to go unnoticed. Because if it's noticed, then it's like, ah, you're an active person. But it's like that often in our church relationships. You know, we can be slogging it out for Jesus here. And, and we can grow discouraged. And when someone else comes in, last week we had Craig Roberts from Zimbabwe. We spent time with our youth and with our men and with our leaders and with our church. And, you know, driving him to the airport, he was just affirming what God is doing in our midst. Because what happens is when you work hard and you look, you know, you stare the, comp the, the, the challenges in the face, often we get to just, we just see the gunk because we have to deal with the gunk. But visitors come in and they see the grace. Their visitors come in and they go, man, you guys are doing so well. Yeah, yeah, I know you're struggling over here, but don't forget, there's evidences of the grace of Jesus. His fingerprints are all over your church. We need that. We need to be widely connected. That's why we need to go to other churches. Because when we go to them, they're stuck in the weeds of trying to live, live out their faith and love their people. And they might just see the gunk they're dealing with. And we come around and we go, yo, have you seen the grace here? You guys are doing amazing. It's so important to be widely connected, right? That's why we do what we do. Okay, so that's E1. You still tracking? Let's move on to E2. Affectionately known as Epaphroditus. Slightly longer name. Different guy. Same name. And you know what's fascinating is it seems like both E1 and E2 had prison ministries, okay? The first one, E1, was in prison. He was under house arrest with Paul in that moment. The second one was out of prison. The first one was from Colossae, found himself in prison with Paul. And the second one was from Philippi. We'll see now. He's from Philippi in another region called Macedonia. And... Uh, and I'm sure he was so happy when the Lord said to him, hey, you're going to have a prison ministry. And he was like, oh, this is amazing. Prison ministry. How many prisoners, Lord? And Jesus is like, well, just one, actually. Uh, and by the way, he's already a Christian. He's going to need some help with writing letters, and you're going to have to. Because he was, he was not in, but he was, he was on the outside supporting him. I looked at the dates of these two letters, and both of them kind of pegged them around 62 AD. So I don't know if Epaphroditus actually rub shoulders with Epaphras because it seems like the letters were written around the same time. Um, 
we don't know. This is speculation, but who knows? Maybe Epaphroditus got there. He's like, hi, I'm Epaphroditus. He's like, I'm Epaphroditus too. Hey, you know, through the bars, they high-fived each other. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> let's read Philippians 2, 25 to 30. It should be up on the screen. Again, this is Paul writing. He says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's fast forward to chapter 4, verse 18. Just one last verse we'll read together. Again, Paul writes, he says, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Once again, there is a, a one of you scenario here. One of the Philippians that was sent by the Philippians to go and supply needs and support and help Paul in prison. And so that's why Epaphroditus longed for the Philippians because he is a Philippian. He's from there. He's missing his people. He's wanting to update them on how he's doing and he, does, he wants them to know that he's okay. You know, he's, it, it's, a, it's a one of us. It's a one of you scenario. Now he's from Philippi, which is a leading city in Macedonia. Again, I'm trying to think of like, what would it have been like for Epaphroditus, a Philippian, to be doing ministry in his context because he's from there. And it was a, a, a once a very influential uh, city. Um, it was on the decline at that stage when Paul was, was there um, in Macedonia. Acts 16 actually says it was a leading city in that province. It had city walls. It had a theater. Um, actually, we see that Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloth, a wealthy woman, was actually the person that helped start that church there. She was praying outside of the city because there weren't any synagogues. A synagogue can only form if there's maybe 10 or so Jewish men. There weren't that many men, so there weren't any synagogues. And so this Gentile woman who's following Yahweh, the God of the Bible, was praying with others, and Paul met them there. And so, yeah, who, who knows um, the, 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 the more of the backstories there, but Paul was imprisoned over there. Um, you know, it was a, it was a Gentile primarily um, scenario, hostile towards the gospel. And this is the place that Epaphroditus is from. He's a Philippian. And it's amazing. He's sent to Paul by them, carrying a gift for Paul. And then Paul sends him back there, carrying Paul's very own heart. So like he's just a carrier. He's like, yeah, I bring resources and gifts to Paul. And Paul's like, you've got to go back and tell them how much I love them. Okay, I'll take the letter and I'll go tell them how much you love them. That's, that's how this guy was being used by God. That's how he played out of position. That is how he was a supporting act. So I've only got two points under him and then we're done. Number one, he was a guy who wore many hats. Many hats, as you see just in these opening uh, phrases in chapter two. It says that he's a brother, 
He's Paul's brother. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. He's a messenger and a minister to his needs. Amazing, isn't it? So all of those words mean something. Paul didn't just go, you know, I need to make this sentence longer. Let me just throw a couple of synonyms in here. They all mean different things, if you think about it. Brother. I mean, you think of how we've watered down the word brother these days. We just call someone brother if we don't know what their name is, you know. Or like, hey, bro. Everybody's a bro. Hey, bro. Yo, bro. But it means, I mean, when Paul says he's my brother, it's like this is like a family member. Like we belong to the same household. He's, he's someone who, who he goes on that's working and, and soldiering and ministering to my needs. Deep affection here. Paul loved him. It says Paul was so anxious over his illness. He wasn't just some guy. When he got sick, Epaphroditus, Paul got sick emotionally. Paul got anxious. This is Paul who writes in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. He's like, I was anxious about Epaphroditus' health. Why? Because he's my brother. He's my brother. Bro, but in the truest sense of the word, you know? <laughs> and then you think about the other terms he used, all the hats he was wearing. He said um, he's a worker and he's a soldier. And so he's on team, in a, in a sense, with Paul. And, and Paul is saying, yeah, I know I'm leading this team, but I want you to know that I also need this team. I'm speaking very affectionately about this guy who works, who soldiers, there's effort, there is sweat, there is fighting, there is contending for the gospel, advancing. He's a man of conviction. That's what these words must mean. And he was happy to wear any, all of those hats. But more specifically, how did this guy work this out? All these hats that he's worked out. And that's my last point tonight, is that he had a risky faith. He had a very risky faith. He got sick. I don't know if it was on his journey to Paul or when he got there that he got sick, but he was willing to get sick, to put himself at risk, just so he could represent the church in Philippi and bringing relief to Paul. It's quite interesting because we read chapter 2, a few verses. The beginning of chapter 2 actually deals with another guy, Timothy, that Paul also has a lot of words to say about, and he might be one of the supporting acts that we preach through. But Timothy's problem was, Similar too, he was quite sickly. In fact, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, listen, remember your stomach's giving you lots of issues. Just have a little bit of wine, you know, uh, to deal with it. So there's a sense that Timothy was, was also, his health seemed to be at risk. And, and he didn't say, oh, I'm going to tap out of ministry. Paul's like, no, 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 just deal with it, you know, with the ways that we know would work best. But keep, keep doing the work of the evangelist. Keep, do, keep pastoring this church in Ephesus. And so... There's Epaphroditus and there's Timothy um, who, who both are willing to serve the Lord even if it's at the risk of their health. Now, Timothy was also, by the way, he's, a, he's, he's half Gentile. So I think his dad was a Gentile or his mom and, and uh, one, of the one of the parents. And, and so he wasn't circumcised. And for the sake of others not stumbling as he travels with Paul preaching the gospel, other Jewish uh, uh, recipients of the, the gospel, Paul said to him, I don't remember, he's not a baby. He's not seven days old or eight days old when they do it. He's, he's a grown man. He's like, would you, be, would you be circumcised just for the sake of ministry going smoothly? And guess what Timothy said? Sure, no problem. I don't know if I would. These guys had risky faith. Risky faith. And, and they, we have to ask, do we have a high pain threshold for the welfare 
of the saints and for the kingdom advance? What are we willing to endure, to go through for the sake of, or do we tap out sometimes when it gets a little difficult? E1, Epaphras, he was willing to be imprisoned. Some scholars actually think he willingly got arrested because we don't know the details of it. How did he end up under house arrest? We don't know the backstory. Possibly he's like, it's fine, check me in so I can hang out with Paul. I don't know. So he, he was imprisoned. Epaphroditus risked in helping a prisoner. Remember, you, when you help a prisoner, what does it look like to the authorities around you? Whose team are you on? You're on the team of the guy in prison. It's a risk to your reputation. And not just that. He got sick too. And I think this is, this is again, I think this stuff you learn when you're discipled, when you walk along someone. This is not something that you can learn in an institution. It can't be taught in many ways. This stuff has to be caught. And these guys caught it. They saw it in action, and then they found themselves living that way as well. When Paul writes about Epaphroditus here, he actually uses Greek words that you can find in other places in Philippians when it speaks about Jesus. You know, when he says like um, Epaphroditus was um, near to death, it mimics what he says about Jesus who was obedient to the point of death. The same Greek words there is used. And so he's making a connection to Epaphroditus being a follower of Jesus ultimately, who was not just willing to be obedient to the point of death, but as we know, ultimately died. Again, I can't help but think of our own version of the story, church, as we think of Lawrence planning a church and then getting sick. In fact, let me just rewind a little bit. Lawrence found out that he had cancer and he still went. I don't know if Lawrence will watch this, watch this tonight, but I want, I want him to be encouraged. His story reminds me of what we're reading about here. And then as he gets sick, he first he goes up, shows up sick, goes through chemo, hammers his immune system. He's still leading and planning a church. It's, it's an official church, friends. It's there. You can go visit it. It has a name. It has a bank account. It has people. They just baptized someone in the river a few weeks ago. So he gets sick, and then we sent Toby. And Toby is now leading the work there with a recovering Lawrence by his side. And then Brian goes and visits them in the summer. I've been there when he was sick in hospital. I went there a few weeks ago as we officially declared that their church is now no longer a church plant, but a planted church. It just reminds me so much of what we see here in the book of Acts, friends. This is amazing. And so for us too, our welfare we should be able to risk our welfare for the sake of the welfare of others, like Epaphroditus, like Epaphras, like Lawrence. And then secondly, our welfare, therefore, must be wrapped up in the welfare of others. So in other words, even if we get sick, but they get saved, it's worth it. Hey, that's, that's Epaphroditus. He got sick, but the gospel was being advanced as a result of it. Can you see? Our welfare wrapped up in their welfare, even if... It, our welfare, even if it's physically taking a toll on, on us, emotionally, mentally, it's a win for us if we see the, 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 the fruit of our sacrifice. Even, even it costs us stuff. Friends, this is New Testament Christianity. This is what we long to see in our day. Is our pain threshold or our willingness to be made uncomfortable for the kingdom, is it high or low? As we read these passages, I am challenged myself, even as a church, as we consider 
venues, as we consider leadership transitions, are you, friends, up for playing out of position? Are you up for what God is calling you to do in the season that we're going to? Why? For the sake of the gospel. Are we willing to be... That word... For it to go rough and tough. For it to be hard. What, when, Mike, when you, when you were sharing so vulnerably here, I was so challenged by that. That's the, the final thing I want to say. What are we giving our lives for? What is our hope? If our hope is just the stuff in this life, we won't be like Epaphroditus. If we just live for the, for, for the next good thing, or you know, maybe it's your pension, or you want to retire, or maybe it's your next kitchen renovation. I don't, know that, you know, I don't know what it is that you are giving yourself for, that you're looking for, that next cruise you want to go on. Or what, what are you giving your life for? They risk their lives. It's amazing. Because death for Jesus, death for the sake of the gospel, they didn't consider that as, as a loss. That's how they saw it. Friends, Philippians 1.21, Paul coins the famous phrase. Where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You look at Epaphras, he lived it out. You look at Timothy, he lived it out. You look at Epaphroditus, he lived it out. That's where we get that statement from. Do we believe it? To live is Christ. And what, is it, what does Christ say? If you're going to follow me, you will be persecuted. If you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross. There is no other version of Christianity. But we can do it because of the hope that we just heard in our time of confession and reflection. We can only do this when we actually take what Paul brings front and center into the book of Philippians. I think it's often called the hymn of Christ. Help me here. You know, that's when he writes about Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he laid his glory aside. He became obedient even to the point of death. He became a servant, hey? That, that's, that's in Philippians here. And that's, the, that's, the, that's underneath all that Paul is saying about Timothy and Epaphroditus and the church that he's writing to. Why? Because Jesus is the true and better Epaphras. Because Epaphras left Colossae you know, to go to Rome. And he left Ephesus after he heard the gospel to go to Colossians and preach the gospel. But Jesus, as we know, left heaven, left the glory of heaven to come to earth to proclaim and explain the gospel to us. And here we are today saved because of it. Jesus is the true and better Epaphroditus who not only nearly died because of an illness, but Jesus died on a cross. He was murdered and tortured, falsely accused for you and me. And Jesus is the true and better Timothy. Timothy uh, had to get circumcised so that he could you know, not be a stumbling stone to the Jews. But Jesus was crucified for you and I. If Jesus isn't at the center of your life, everything I said here will crush you. So you need Jesus at the center because everything I said is true. And I, we should live like that. So bring Jesus into the center of your life. He is worth it. He's worth you going with less. He's worth you, you uh, risking your safety. He's worth your life. And Jesus was raised to life and ascended into heaven. Why? Because he wants our lives to be spectacular supporting acts for the main act, which is the glory of his name and his fame. Let's stand. Lord, would you come, Holy Spirit, and, yeah, rock us to the core. 
will you help us to see you, Jesus, in all your glory, in all your majesty? Because unless we see you, we can't live like this. This is, this is too heavy. But you said to us, come. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. But you, at the same time, you said, come and follow me. Take up your cross and come and follow me. There is a cost to following you. We acknowledge that. But you empower us to do that. We don't live that way so that you would love us and so that you would save us. We live that way because you love us and because you saved us. How far you went, Lord, to bring us home. Oh, Lord Jesus, we respond by asking, how far would you like us to go? What would you like us to do, Jesus? We want to support the main act. You, Jesus, on the throne. Jesus Christ, the, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord of heaven and earth. The one true God. We live for you. And, and as hard as it is to say, because of who you are, we are willing to die for you. Let that be true. Many of us would not go to that nth degree, but help us to count the cost in the small ways here in North America. Help us not to look upon those things and go, that's too much to ask for. No, Lord Jesus. That's not what you said in that garden. You said, your will, the Father's will, not mine, be done. May we pray the same prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you are here tonight and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, hey, won't you chat to some of us, some of the leaders here? You can come to me, come to Mike, um, community group leaders. And hey, we'd love to talk with you and walk with you and pray with you too. And that goes for you online as well. Drop us an email or something. God bless. Good night. See you at the back for a cup of coffee.